Good morning, everybody. I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14, is where we're at today. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And I encourage you to uh, open your copy of God's Word, if you would, and follow along with us. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14. These are exciting days for the life of our church, and we're excited about what God is doing and what He's going to do in the coming days in the future. Amen? And you know... Um, I, when I think about all that God has done in this last year, I can't help but just be amazed and marvel and rejoice. You know, some months ago, all, less than a year ago, I, uh, I shared with the church that we need to embrace the future. And uh, part of that embracing the future is, is, uh, was paying off the debt. And praise God that happened. We paid off our debt. Embracing the future meant also calling some younger staff pastors to come and join with us, and the Lord has blessed that, that in that way, in a tremendous way, and I'm so grateful uh, for our staff team and, and adding Brother Jay on our staff team, what a blessing he is, and, and his young family, and then uh, Brother Drew and his young family joining our staff team, and the way God has blessed there, and people's lives being changed and transformed by the glory of God, people coming to know Christ and being baptized, and then uh, uh, this uh, new opportunity that's set before us and finding a new worship pastor at Brother Jim's retirement, and God has opened that opportunity for us to hire a young man and ask him to come and join us and be a pastor in our church, leading our worship. This is part of the embrace in the future, going where God would have us to go revitalization of our adult Bible study and, and, and student Bible study ministry and, and uh, developing community groups where we can be intentional about discipleship, using the Word of God as our curriculum and, and seeing lives being transformed. I'm looking forward to this year. It's going to be amazing as we go to the future doing what God has called us to do as a church. Amen? So these are exciting days in the life of our church. Now the 14th chapter of Mark is where we're at today. We've been preaching a series of messages called Discovering the Real Jesus. And not uh, a made-up or fictional Jesus, but the real Jesus. And in the 12th verse of chapter 14, we come to the very last week and hours of our Savior's ministry on this earth with his disciples before his crucifixion. And you'll look with me in verse number 12. On the, first day, uh, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. 
And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It's one of the twelve, one who's dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it's written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been far better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word. Help us to focus and hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. The city of Jerusalem was filled with people. Some scholars say that the population of the city was swollen with ten times as many people as normally there. It was a great Passover feast, and also the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Feast of First Fruits that came one right after another in the city. It was one of the great feasts of Israel's life and religious heritage. The identity of the nation was found in this, these feasts, and in particular, Passover. It is the great redemptive act of God bringing the children of Israel out of Exodus, and into a covenant relationship with him, they become his people that he reveals himself to, and he'll change the world through them. It is filled with great intrigue and mystery, this covenant relationship with God. No other nation of the world had such a covenant idea of their relationship to one God who led them and guided them. These ancient covenants were promises that were made with, in long history past with ancient forefathers, one named Abraham and the other named Isaac and another named Jacob. These are patriarchs. But then the history of how that their family was taken into uh, care in Egypt in the midst of a famine. But before long... Their family reproduced and stayed and lived in Egypt, and they became slaves to the Egyptians. And so, born out of this was the, the, the establishment of a national identity as God delivers them from bondage and makes them to be his people. It's a mystery, the worship of the nation of Israel, 
with their blood sacrifices and covenants and commandments. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was symbolic of God's salvation and what he had done for them and, and that it was pointing forward to a day when a new covenant would be established by God and there would be one who would come and establish it, a Messiah, a king. And Jesus is choosing this week intentionally and with purpose to reveal to his disciples who he is and why he has come in these very last hours of his life. Notice, first of all, as we look at this story today, the memorial meal and how it is prepared, this meal takes place the 14th of Nisan, the 15th, of, 14th and 15th of Nisan. In verse number 12, it says, it's the first day of unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. And so the disciples said, where are we going to have Passover, Lord? And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the city, and I want you to make preparation. Now, there are three, there are three feasts that happen one right after another. There's Passover, and then the day after Passover is the week long of unleavened bread, and then the Sunday following that would be the first fruits uh, feast that takes place. So I want you to go into the city, and I want you to prepare. And so he sends two of his disciples into Jerusalem. Now, Passover meal, once you, the Passover lamb is slaughtered, then the meal needs to be eaten within the city, uh, the confines of the city of Jerusalem. And he said, this is what I want you to do. When you go into the city, you're going to see a man, and that man is, will be carrying a pitcher of water. And when you see this guy carrying a pitcher of water, then I want you to follow him. And then the house that he goes into, I want you to say to the owner of the house that our Lord needs the room for him and his disciples for the Passover. Where is your guest room for the Lord and his disciples? And he will show it to you. Now, isn't that interesting? Doesn't this kind of remind you about when he sent his disciples to go get the donkey and untie it? It sounds very similar. You see, Mark puts this in there. He said, when you go into the city, you'll see this man, and he's carrying a pitcher of water. You say, what is that on you? Usually a person that would be carrying a huge jar of water would be a woman and not a man or a slave. And so here comes this man carrying it, and they identify him, that there he is, and then they follow him, and he went into a house, and they went in the house, and they said to the owner, he says, do you have an upper room? And if so, the way they constructed the houses, there would be a house, and then there would be another box on top of the house, and that is the upper room and said, you follow him, and he makes all the preparation. Do you know what Mark's telling us here? That Jesus Christ was in control all the time. He's in control of these events. He's not surprised by them. He is not a victim. He's intentionally going to Jerusalem, and there he will suffer, and there he will die. Christ's death was not an accident. It was not a tragedy. He laid down his life for us. Liberal scholarship in the turn of the century, there was a movement, and it's still active today. You'll see it uh, during Easter week or before Christmas that some of the news magazines will come out 
And it's the quest for the historical Jesus. Not the Jesus presented in the Bible, but the historical, real Jesus. And so this liberal scholarship believed that Jesus was a first century kind of prophet and teacher. But he tragically was killed and his ministry suspended. Among the first proponents of such a quest for a historical Jesus was Albert Schweitzer. And it's still a popular, uh, filled with skeptical scholarships that don't believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. But as Edward says, Jesus is not a tragic hero caught in events beyond control. There's no hint of desperation, fear, anger, or futility on his part. Jesus does not cower or retreat as plots, plots are hatched against him. He displays, as he has throughout the gospel, a sovereign freedom and authority to follow a course. He's freely chosen in accordance with God's plan. Our King Jesus knows exactly where he's going and what he's going to do. John's Gospel, chapter number 10, said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay it down that I may take it up again. In verse number 18, John 10, 18, no one takes it away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to bring it back up. This commandment I've received from my Father. You go make preparations. So what kind of preparations do they make? Well, understand, by the way, Jesus Christ came to die for all of us. And his death is our victory. Amen? Amen. So they're to make preparations. Now, what kind of preparations do they make? Well, first of all, the Passover meal, and, and some of you a few years ago, remember we had a Seder meal here at our church. And so this, you may remember some of these elements that would be in a Passover meal. First of all, there would be the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was taken to the temple, was killed there at the temple. Blood was sprinkled on the altar, and then uh, they, they, uh, the lamb was given back then for them to roast as a Passover lamb. The lamb would be skinned. It would be a one-year-old male, either from the goats or from the sheep, and so it would be skinned. His head would be attached and his legs unbroken, and it would be put on a spit, roasted over a fire. And so you could smell the roasting of lambs all over Jerusalem, as families would gather for Passover meal. They would also have bread, but the bread would be unleavened. The reason it was unleavened is because there would be no impurities in it from the leaven, but also the bread was made in haste because in the first Passover, they were ready to leave at a moment's notice. Thirdly, there would be a bowl of salt water, and the salt water would be representative of the tears that were shed in Egypt when the children of Israel were held in captivity and bondage for slaves for over 400 years. And then there would be bitter herbs on the table. And that would remind them of the bitterness 
of their slavery and the bitterness and the hurt in their life. There would also be a fruit kind of paste made out of nuts and apples or wine pasted together, and it would remind them of the mortar for the bricks and the brick making that they had to do as slaves. And then there would be wine. There would be enough wine that everybody at the table could have four cups of wine. And the celebration of this meal, there would be four different stages in the meal, and they would drink a cup of wine with each stage of the meal. These represented the, the promises that God gave the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 6 and gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 6 that he would bring them out from their burdens and bondage. Number two, that he would redeem them. Number three, that he would take them to be his people. And number four, that I will be your God and you will know me as your Lord. And so that's, that's how the structure of the meal took place. Let's talk about the meal. First of all, they would begin the meal with a blessing over the group. And the blessing would not be to bless the food, but to bless God. Bless God who has given them this, this meal and given them this Passover. And so after that blessing, they would drink the first cup. And everybody at the table would drink the first cup of wine. That would be a key, a clue, that the youngest child or somebody designated to ask the question, would ask the father or the host of the meal. And in this case, the one hosting the meal would be Jesus. And this is the question that would be asked. Why is this night different from other nights? And so then the host would recount how God spared the children of Israel. When Jesus gathers with his disciples and when the question is asked, can you imagine our Savior as he stood and he taught them and remembered? Did you know there's something really powerful about the story of God's Word? And when we gather in small groups and we hear the story of God's Word and apply it into our life, that's what we're wanting to do as a church with our community groups, that we're hearing the story of God's Word, looking at the truth of God's Word, and we're letting it speak into our life and us respond to it. Notice, he begins to tell the story. He told the story about our fathers and about our people and how that our, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were wandering Arameans. They didn't have a land that was their own. They didn't own land in the promised land. But they moved about from one, one part of the land to another part of the land, following where God would have them to go. And they became refugees because a great famine took place in the land. And Joseph, who had been sold into slavery and, uh, because his brothers hated him and were so bitter, God, when that, what they did for bad, God did for good because he, he, be, he was elevated by God to be second in command in all of Egypt and provide for his family. And then they told the story how they moved them and all their family to Egypt. But then it became a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. And before long, they find themselves in captivity. They are slaves to the Egyptians. They're treated harshly. 
they are treated with great difficulty. They're hated and feared by the Egyptians. The babies, boys, were slaughtered at the command of the Egyptians. And they cried out and prayed to God for years in their brokenness. God heard them. And God saw their affliction. And God saw the oppression that they were under. God cared for them. God raised up a man and led them out of the bondage. With his strong and mighty arm, God Almighty brought them out of Egypt. He did it by a final plague. And that plague was poured out on all of Egypt that the firstborn in every house would die. But there was a provision made. The provision was made that if for the children of Israel, that they take a lamb and they would slaughter that lamb at twilight in the evening and capture the blood. And when they captured the blood, they took a branch of hyssop and they painted along the doorpost the blood. And then they put the hyssop in the blood again and painted over the lintel. And now the whole doorpost and lintel are covered in blood. And they roasted the lamb and they brought it inside and they ate unleavened bread and they celebrated together and they trusted God. And so they would have their loins girded, ready to leave, sandals on their feet, a staff in their hand, and they knew that God was going to powerfully move, and God did move over the land. And death, the wrath of God, was poured out on all of Egypt. But all of those that were under the blood were safe, and there was no death for those that were under the blood. This is a permanent memorial. So when Jesus tells the story, they remember that how God saved them. But it pointed to another lamb. And that brings us to the second point, the lamb that was provided. At this point, after the story, Jesus would drink, let's take the cup. And they all took the cup and drank it. It was the second cup of the meal. This marks the beginning of the meal itself where they actually would eat. It's here as they're eating, as they're dipping their bread in the, in the herbs, as they're dipping, dipping their bread in the fruit parade, as they're eating the roasted lamb. It's there that he confronts that there's one among them that's a betrayer. And every one of them asks, would it be, is it I? Is it, is it me? And he said, it's one who dips his bread with me. Will betray me. It'd be better for that man if he'd never been born. God's judgment on his life. What Jesus is teaching them in this moment is that I, I'm the Passover lamb. That all of us are sinful. And all of us need a lamb. And all of us need blood poured out and a lie, innocent life to die for our guilty lives, except for Jesus. In Genesis, we're told the story about how that Abram, his son of promise, Isaac, is taken to a mountain that God showed him, and he, he said, I want you to sacrifice a son. You remember the story. 
And Abraham takes his son, leaves his servants behind, and they bring the fire, they bring the wood, they bring the, the oil, they bring the rope, they, they bring everything, but they don't, they don't have a lamb. And Isaac said, Father, we forgot something. We don't have a lamb to sacrifice. And when they got to the top of the mountain, Abraham says, God will provide. And Abraham ties his own son, lays him on the wood, creates an altar there, and is ready to kill his own son. But God stays his hand, and he provides a ram in the thicket. And he says, kill that ram, and not your own son. But God, in eternity past, gave his son to be a lamb for all of us. And Jesus is that paschal lamb. John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, he said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, Christ is our paschal lamb who's been sacrificed for us. And as he ate with his disciples, he's helping them understand that he is the one without sin. He is the one without spot or blemish. He is the one only that can save them. And he is God's provision for us. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to its slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus said, I'm the Lamb of God. It's me. After they've eaten the meal, he takes the third cup. And the third cup, they drink it together. And he then begins to explain to them the covenant symbolism that is found here. In verse number 22, it says, While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, Take, eat. This is my body. There are two symbols here. There's the bread, and there's the blood. The bread represents the body of our Lord, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he, he, he gives it to them. But before he does it, he blesses God and praises God and thanks God for that bread. And what he's saying, this bread is my body. Mark is careful. Stay with me today. Mark is careful to teach us lessons concerning this bread. Now, in Mark's gospel, chapter number 6, you all remember the story. Let's remember it together. Mark's gospel, chapter number 6, beginning with verse 33 and following. There's, Jesus is with his disciples, right? And a great multitude are following him near Galilee. And these are almost all Jewish people that are listening to him as he's teaching. And uh, the crowd is huge. The Bible says there are 5,000 men. And he says, the disciples said, Lord, we need to send them back and they can go and get food in the different villages because we can't provide for all of these men. And he says, you give them something to eat. They said, you want us to take 200 denarii and go and buy bread for all of this multitude? And he says, no, what do you have? And they said, well, we have five little loaves and two small fish. He said, okay. He says, have them sit in small groups in green grass, in the green grass, and divide up into little groups. 
and says, then you bring the fish and the loaves to me. And so they bring the bread to him, and he thanks God, and then he breaks it, and he gives it to the disciples. And then the disciples distribute it to the people scattered. Can you imagine 5,000 men plus all the women and children? Can you imagine this huge multitude of people, and they're, all, they're sitting in groups in the green grass, and, and the disciples are carrying baskets of food to all of them. And you know what happened? It's a miracle. It kept multiplying and multiplying. And everyone ate and was satisfied. Isn't that amazing? Now, how many baskets were left over? That's right, 12. Now, there were 12 disciples. They all got to carry a basket full of food over. I think it really represents the, the nations of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And what Jesus is saying is that he is the satisfaction, that he is the bread, but they don't get it. They don't understand it. So in chapter number 6, verse 45, he sends the disciples out in a boat, and he stays to pray. And after they're out on the boat, a wind comes up, and it, they, they can't go anywhere because of the wind whipping on the sea, and, and they're, they're out there in the middle of the night. And... During the middle of the night, about 3 a.m., Jesus comes walking on the sea and toward them. And they see this image of a man walking on the sea, and they say, it's a ghost! And they're filled with fear. You remember the story, don't you? And Jesus said, take courage. It's I. It's me. Ego, I me. I am. And he gets into the boat with them. And the seas are calmed, and they're filled with astonishment because they had not, this is what Mark says, they had not gained insight to the bread, and their heart was hardened. See, Jesus is the true bread that's come out of heaven. Jesus is the satisfaction. Jesus is the hope of Israel. They don't get it. In chapter number 8, a similar thing happens. He's on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And, it, and the folks that are following him are mostly Gentiles. And he's teaching the Gentiles. It's a, they go out to a very desolate place. And he's teaching. And there's over 4,000 people. And, and the disciples said, look, they've been with me for three days. Jesus said, three days and don't have any food. And they said, the disciples said, well, where are we going to get enough bread? <laughs> he just fed 5,000. And he said, where are we going to get enough bread? And he said, well, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Small loaves. He said, have them sit in groups. They did. And he took the bread and gave thanks to God. He broke it, gave it to him. They distributed it to 4,000. How many of them of the 4,008 were satisfied? All of them. How many baskets of food was left over? Seven. Symbolizing completeness and the universality of Jesus' mission. That his mission was not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that his, his life sacrifice will be enough and satisfying for all men and all women. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men 
unto me. Wow. So, after that event, immediately, the disciples get in the boat. There's a lot of lessons on the boat, right? Get on the boat. And he says, beware of the leaven, the bread, the, the, the yeast-infected bread of the Pharisees. He's trying to say, watch out for them. But, but they, they get into an argument. They said, bread? Who brought bread for the boat trip? And nobody brought bread. And they start arguing with each other. Well, who forgot to get the bread? Who was in charge of bringing bread? We don't have any bread. I swear they're Baptists. And so this Ari says, do you remember? Do you remember the five loaves? How many did we feed? 5,000. How many were left over? 12. You remember the seven loaves? How many did we feed? 4,000. How many were left over? Seven. Do you not yet understand? Don't you understand who I am? That I can meet the deepest need of your life? His life is broken and his life will satisfy all men from every tongue and tribe and nation and people. Jesus, I am the bread of life. Second element that he helps them understand is the blood. And the blood is his life. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The life is in the blood. The Bible tells us the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin because it had to be a man for a man. It had to be a sinless life for sinful men. It had to be a perfect man for imperfect people. It had to be a just man for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Peter never forgot it. 1 Peter chapter 1.18, knowing you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He gave his life so that we might be saved. He poured out his life. His life was broken, violently treated, but he did it to redeem all of us. He willingly lays down his life so that we might be saved. I read a story about a fire that took place in the Yellowstone National Park. After the fire was mostly put out in that sweeping forest fire, some of the firefighters and rangers were going through the burned out area to look for hot spots and assess the damage. And they saw a site underneath of a, a tree was a, a grouse, a bird. And that bird was at the base of the tree. It was still sitting there fully formed, but his body was charred. The little bird was dead. And they pushed the bird to the side and when he did, out of a nest, nestled down, three little chicks came out and were walking. And the mother 
had set on her chicks while the fire raged so that they might be saved. Our Savior took in his own self the full wrath of God that we deserve so that we might be saved. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen? And he said, this is a new covenant of my blood. Not the old covenant. The old covenant was sealed by blood at the Passover and the, the law was given at Sinai and there were types and signs that foreshadowed the future of a covenant, more perfect sacrifice that would be provided for by God. A new covenant in my blood, hearkening back to what Jeremiah saw. Behold, the days are coming, chapter 31, Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant in the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This, this covenant I will make, and I will put my law with them in their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Amen. Finally, at the end of this supper, notice it says in, the, in, the, in verse number <clears throat> in verse number 25, he says, truly I say to you, I'll never again drink the fruit of the vine till I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Wow. His kingdom gives us hope. And Jesus there, they drink, drank three of these cups, but the fourth cup has not been drunk. They've not drank from that cup yet. And so he says, I'm not going to drink any more wine until I drink it new with you in my Father's house. He begins a fasting, a fasting until he returns. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ rose again victoriously. And Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And Jesus is coming to rule and to reign. Isaiah chapter number 25, verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain... He'll swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil that stretched over all nations. And he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he'll remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we've waited that he might save us. This is the Lord from whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen. He is coming again. The Lamb of God is coming for all of us. He is an authoritative, conquering king. And he reigns until his enemies made his footstool. But at the command of the Father, our Savior is coming again. And we will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb with King of kings and Lord of lords. That will be glorious.
glory. What about this lamb that lays down his life and slain for us? Is he worthy of our worship? Is he worthy of our praise? Is he worthy of us surrendering our hearts and lives fully and completely to him? Amen. Let me just read to you from John's Book of Revelation in chapter number five. Beautiful, powerful image in heaven. Listen. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne and a book written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? No one in heaven on earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw John between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Hallelujah. That's our Lord Jesus. What hope we have in him. Takeaways today. Jesus Christ intentionally laid down his life for you, suffered in your place, and satisfied a holy God. God loves you and sent his son for you. Take Christ into your life. Receive him as your savior. Put your faith in him alone. And we have hope. Hope in this world and hope beyond this world through our conquering King Jesus. Amen? Father in heaven, as we come to take this supper together today, to reflect on all that Jesus did for us and who he is, I pray that today, today, that we would not harden our hearts, but submit and surrender to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life. Father, may this act of eating bread and drinking this juice be a symbolic expression of receiving Jesus Christ welcoming him 
and surrendering to his lordship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.